Sharing it around, my dude. It's the most me FC Dallas post I've ever done, now that I think about it. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another world-class edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, how you doing? My name is Peter, and joining me today is not two, but one of your normal heroes. Uh, it appears that Dan Crook is a pre-game scratch. I guess he pulled a muscle warming up for the podcast. So uh, today it is just me, little old me, and your hero and mine, founder and editor of ThirdDegree.net, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, I believe Dan's birthday was uh, at the end of last week, so he's probably still in recovery. I believe that's well, you what's know, going on. you know what he's recovering from. The uh, right the day after his birthday was Luton Town versus Watford, and they lost to Watford one nothing. I think so. He's probably in, still in mourning or in jail after going on a tirade, rioting across the town, <laughs> destroying things. Yeah, that explains a lot. Outrage. Luton Town out Hatter's Outrage. Hatter's Outrage. They're mad. Very mad. You don't lose to the uh the hornet shaped reindeer or whatever that is. I can never remember what uh what is that? It's not a reindeer. I think it's an elk, isn't it? No, it's not an elk. Oh. It's a. it's uh Dag Nabbit, I'm gonna forget this story. It's it looks like a reindeer, but it's not. It's like an offshoot of a reindeer, but the mascot for the team is actually a hornet. For what? Did you know this? Yes, yeah, I yes. knew it was a hornet because of their jerseys, right? But the well, they also have a guy. A they also have a person running around in a giant, cartoony hornet, like their their version of Tex Hooper, except as a hornet. But that's not what's on their crest. It's a, it's this reindeer looking thing, but it's not a reindeer. It's some offshoot or spinoff of a reindeer, but I can't remember what it's called. Anyway. Well, one of the great things about English football is their history and how things evolved and changed. And so I'm sure there's a fabulous story there for Watford fans. I'm sure it is, but I know that Dan considers all of it, quote unquote, scum. <laughs> right. He calls yeah. it scum. Yeah. Which yeah. seems really harsh, by the way. That, that seems very inappropriate and non-PC, but he's English. What does he know? Yeah. Okay, since we talked the last time, the game we were waiting for, the great Oscar Perea returns to Toyota Stadium and all of his grandeur and all of our love and respect for him as he brings his uh, upstart Orlando City soccer team to town and we get the donuts. But I will have to say that was one of the that was the most uh, in, that was the most uh, eventful zero zero game I've seen in quite some time. Oh, I thought it was thoroughly entertaining. Uh, even at the, at the end of the game, I even mentioned that that I thoroughly enjoyed the whole game, and I was enjoying the battles, and I was enjoying the level of play. And and a bunch of people thought I was crazy, but I mean, there are some zero zero games in Dallas where the heat has destroyed the game, and everybody just lollygags the ball around the field for ninety minutes. So this was not that, so I really liked it. Yeah, I thought it was a highly entertaining game as well. I I will say though, I was. After kind of sitting back and thinking about the, the, the game in its totality, I was disappointed Dallas didn't quite figure out a way to win that game, considering, you know, Lucci essentially had his best 11 out there, minus Paxton, who he's lost for the year, and Oscar could not say the same thing. He was dealing with a, a shortened deck of cards. Yeah, Orlando, I think fairly, is a little bit better than Dallas right now, and I think that was demonstrated by the fact that they're the road team, and they controlled the game. And then even when Dallas was up a man, they were not able to create enough uh, chances and to get the win. So I'm like you, I, I, but with Oscar missing a couple of pieces and being in Frisco and you know, Lucci having a, a relatively rested team, you know, and, and having, and, 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 and they played Wednesday night yeah. too. And Dallas didn't. Right. Or had and, they or did right. Dallas and, play Wednesday night? No, they did not. And Dallas right. was, uh, I'm sorry, Dallas had played Wednesday night, but they rotated guys the previous two games so both teams were coming in on the same schedule, but um, Dallas rested in anticipation and had pretty much as 
fit and as rested at a real starting 11 as Ruggi has had all year. And then when you combine it with the red card, you feel like they should have come away with the win. But that doesn't change the fact that I enjoyed the game. Uh, it was still a cracker of a game, even despite that. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good result. The weather was nice, and of course, we all got to ni- see the great scenes of Lucci and Oscar, uh, uh, you know, congratulating or embracing each other. That was all very nice. The, it was all very friendly. It never turned sour in any sort of way. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of interested in your overall thoughts about the performance of the team. Specifically, I, the person I was most excited and thought did such a great job considering who he had to man mark was Brian Reynolds, who I thought had an outstanding game. Yeah, I thought collectively the Dallas defense, which is their best asset this year, uh, was really good. Retzel Ziegler was my man of the match because I thought he, he was particularly good on picking up extra attackers running into his zone, which when Hollingshead on your left is uh, happens fairly frequently and the did a really nice job with that. But I agree with you. I thought Reynolds did a really nice job on Nani. Now you're not going to shut out Nani completely. He's going to get a lot of action. And in fact, he had nine shots, which sounds like a whole lot because it is a whole lot. But if you go look at where they were, Brian and with Matt Hedges helping him, of course, that's a huge part of it, was able to make those shots come from outside the box and from out on the wing uh, which is what you want because you're not going to stop the guy completely. What you want to do is make him work really hard up and down the field because he's not going to check back. So Brian was free to run the field all day and you want to not let him beat you to the end and cross and you want to not let him drive past you to the inside and shoot. And Brian Mills did all those things. So for a 19-year-old kid, that's a fantastic performance against a guy who's played, I mean, let's be honest, at the highest levels you can play at. Yeah, it was uh, a good uh, defensively. I felt really solid about the performance. And you mentioned Ziegler, who in particular was reading the game really well, was stepping up and cutting out passes and didn't look to be the 30 something that we always worry about him in terms of fitness and form and so forth. He really stepped up and had a good game. I thought we saw some of the best from Ryan's Holling, Ryan Hollingshead in quite a while now that he was more in his natural left sided position. Yeah, I think both of those things indicate that, you know, you're, for the most part, that's going to be your set, that four going forward. In particular, Reto benefited from a little bit of the rotation by not starting on the game before. Uh, and Holling said, too, who was in and out a little bit of the couple of games before, this schedule is so overloaded that except for this week, uh, Dallas is going to have to do that the rest of the year. Luch is going to have to do that the rest of the year because you're basically going to play every Saturday and every Wednesday, and you're going to have to – go through most of this season resting. It won't be like all back-to-back like this week was because of the the Orlando coming in. But every game, you're going to have to rotate and check somebody in and out, even if it means just don't start and come in at the end of the game. You know, So you're going to see um, Ryan um, – not Ryan, Johnny Nelson, excuse me. Johnny Nelson is going to play some games. Uh, Brisson is going to have to play some games. Um, you're going to have to see in midfield, you're going to have to see uh, Tanner and Cervania both play games um, without passing. Uh, uh, Jesus is probably still going to play some games in the midfield and up front. Pepe's going to play some games. You're going to have to rest some of these guys or else you're going to burn out and crash and burn within like three weeks. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and nobody and we should if you're if you're feeling a little let down by the result at zero zero. There's good reason to feel that way, considering you played with a man advantage and never really felt like you had it out there. But let's take into consideration Orlando's been on quite of a run. I mean, Oscar clearly has this team playing well. Not only did it make it to the final of the uh, MLS's back tournament, they've been averaging almost over two goals a game since then. They've only lost once since this uh, season has restarted. Uh, So holding them to no goals, even though they're on the road, is an achievement unto itself. That said, I still think Lucci's got significant issues in the midfield, and that's probably the crux. If we're really kind of focusing on what may not be working right, it's still somewhere in that mix there, isn't it? Uh, Absolutely. Um, Orlando came in with, I think, twice as many goals as Dallas, and I think they are unbeaten in eight now. So, um, And they definitely wanted this game. I think they wanted this game for Oscar because there was an intensity to this game that you don't always get when teams come into Toyota Stadium. Um, and I agree with the midfield. You know, Thiago Santos, whose toughness and energy and work are vital to the midfield. When he wasn't in there, it was clearly obvious. And then Ricarte's being uh, keyed at this point. Like teams are focusing him. They're over fouling him. 
they're trying to doing their best to double make and take away his options, his passing lanes. So the other person in midfield has got to do more. And that was a combination this time of Brian Acosta, who wasn't terrible, but wasn't the best he had been either. He, he, so he's up and down on all over the place. And, and we'll come back to later, like whether we think Tessman's really pushing him or not. But um, I, I don't think you got quite enough out of that position. The overloads on the outside were happening from the wings. That was really good. But the really telling thing is uh, Frank O'Hara is not getting enough touches in that danger zone, that top of the key, that just inside the box. In my breakdown, I showed his touch map, and it's all over the field. And there's only about 10 of his, what I think 38 touches are in the danger area. So that's not enough. They need to figure out how to get more balls to his feet and get him more often in the right position, which isn't just on him. It's partially on him a little bit to, to stay at home a little bit more now that the team's playing better. But um, for the most part, they still are not. I mean, think about it this way, right? Har has been here for what now, like six or seven games. Riccardi has been here for like five, you know, playing with Acosta, playing with Santos. That's all, you know, you're still in the first third of the season for all those guys in terms of the number of games played together. So, you know, the offense is still learning. We forget, even though it's October, we forget we're in the first two months of the season, right? So it's going to take some time, and I think it'll come with work. So uh, where, how did you – well, so let's also talk about the fact that we got maybe the most Santiago Mascara <laughs> performance of all time. Uh, we, you know, he, he get ends up getting subbed out what in like the 24th minute yeah. of the game or something ridiculous yeah. like that. And it was one of the, it was a very Edwin Jossie like moment, by the way. Yeah. And, he went down and, you know, sort of held his leg a little bit and then got up and kind of ran some, but obviously couldn't run full out. I mean, if Lucci didn't have five subs, would he try, would he have tried to push him a little bit? Possibly. Um, one person joked that that 10 minutes of the 24 that he ran was his normal performance level anyway. So, <laughs> you know, the problem is uh, when you look up the metrics, which I did, uh, Mascara is actually uh, really high in the top of the team in terms of the X goal, the expected goals, and in his actual goals amount to that because he hasn't played a full schedule and because he had the hat trick and because he is once or twice a game pretty dangerous those numbers are really high. So if you're a sucker for metrics, which I kind of think, I don't want to say Lucci's a sucker. That's the wrong word. Lucci, I think, likes the metrics, you know, because he talks about that with Jesus and he talks about that with Har when he first got here and he talks about that with um, Santi. So maybe he's getting suckered in a little bit like that. But for me, with the eye test, man, that guy, I just, it, it just this is another example of him being soft and not taking care of his body. He doesn't maintain himself enough. He's always getting these little bitty injuries. You can't count on the guy. And that's the problem. You can't count on him for how much money he's making. Well, and, and uh, you know, guys pick up little nicks and knocks here all the time, but he just, you just, you can't help but get the sense he's a guy that feels one little twinge of pain and then he just wants to shut everything down. And he just won't play hurt, right? You don't want guys to play injured. But you'd like to see guys fight through playing hurt, and he just won't ever seem to do that. Now, I did read today that they claimed it's like a grade one or two quad strain, and maybe it's a legit injury. I don't yeah, know. I'm that's just, legit. Uh, c- coming off the hat trick, did not everybody, oh, maybe here's the turning point. We've had a lot of really poor – we've had, what, three poor performances out of them since then? Yeah. I mean, he got lifted the next game after the hat trick in like the 60th minute. You know, it's just it's just typical with him. And look, is he really hurt? Sure, that's a real injury. But it comes back to mental toughness and work and and energy. Like you didn't work hard enough to be fit enough that you didn't get a quad injury. You know, it's like if you're if you're for my opinion, if you're slightly out of shape and you're not strong, he has he has large muscles. That's not the same as being tough and, and, and strong in your muscles and strong in the areas where you're weak. You know, you work around these injuries. If you're chronically injured in one area, you work around it, you build around it to try and compensate. And he just doesn't have that. Like the minute something's going wrong, he shuts down, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm just over the guy, you know, and I will, I want to give Lucci credit because he will stick with a guy way longer than I will and give him chances. Like Cobra last year, I was out on Cobra 100%. I admit it, you know, and Lucci gave him chances. And so, you know, he's trying to give Santi chances. He likes to give people second and third opportunities where I would have been, and I'm done, and, I'm, and I would have shipped him off a long time ago if it was me. 
All right. Well, then, so uh, then let's talk about Fafa Pico, who took his place. And where where are we on Fafa at this point? Because I, I get the sense that there's a lot of things I really like about his game. But ultimately, when I go back and think about what he did at the end, by the end of pretty much every game I've watched, I'm like, yeah, but you know what? He didn't score. And I don't remember him really creating any super dangerous moments. But I, I sense that he worked really hard. Well, the thing for me about Fafa is that he does work hard and that he is quick, he is fast, and all those things are true. Um, so when he goes up against a player that isn't fast, that has a little, that he has beat, then he'll destroy the guy. You remember the game, I want to say it was a month back now, and I can't remember the exact opponent it was, forgive me, but he absolutely destroyed the, the right back on the team he was playing just anytime he wanted to. And but then you see him go up against a guy where they have a right back who can run. And then now I, he can't get by a guy consistently and he can't get that little bit of a space to get balls in. And he doesn't quite have enough nuance or quite have enough extra ball skill to be effective when the other guy is really fast. So you end up with an up and down sort of performance, depending on what kind of player he's going up against. Um, in this game in particular, he was in the game and he did a couple of things that appropriate. He played correctly. He just didn't, he wasn't impactful. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. Yeah, I'm sitting here looking at his passing chart and he has this weird little cluster, a cluster of good passes just inside the uh, midfield stripe in Orlando's attacking half. But they're just like little distribution passes to kind of continue possession. They're nothing, nothing appears to be really in the box or in area 14 or anything down near the goal line or anything. It's and that's just kind of reflection of how I remember his game on on that particular night and and overall. So I, I'm still very much uh, up in the air as to how I feel about him as an addition to this team. I certainly think he is overall better than Mascara. Uh, no question about that. I just don't know if they. I still think they still don't. Let me let me re-say that. I still believe the club has yet to solve their problem on the left side uh, in the attack. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and in this case, you know, you know how Oscar's teams play. He was here for five years. They sit in a mid block to a low block, and they counterpunch. So they're sitting deep with their their wing is sitting back on top. Not I mean, he's not checking back, but he's at least sitting back and on top of the outside back. So there's not really the space for him for Fafa to make like these over the top runs and instead he has to try and break guys down and that's not that's not his game that's you know he he had four dribbles in the in the zone that you would like which was in that that left side of course in the attacking third but he only beat a guy three out of four times right just didn't happen for him in this game in terms of them having help inside you know they know where the danger zones are coming from so um you know it wasn't a good matchup for him can we do that but there definitely have been games where he's crushed guys so it just you know he's not He's not a million dollar player, <laughs> you know, he's a middle of your team, solid addition, you know, that you can sometimes is good, sometimes it's not so good, but never really terrible. I, I, I don't want to rip him. He hasn't been bad. And I agree with you hundred percent better than Mascara. For me, I'd play Fafa every game the rest of the way if it were up to me, you know. Yeah, I was. I think, and uh, and in, in re- in recalling the game and and looking over the stats and the score uh, box score and everything, it, uh, what I'm immediately thrown back to was my weird frustration with Lucci's substitutions. Um, I, I I could not figure out for the life of me why he brought Ferreira in for Ricarte. Uh, and I, I know I understood why he brought in Tessman for Acosta because uh, Brian really had been pretty ineffectual most of the game, and I thought Tessman brought a new level in. But I, it, it man, I did not understand the substitution uh, for Ricarte for for Ferrer, who by the way just kind of evaporated from the game. Yeah, well, the the thing to remember about Jesus is that uh, he's been with Lucci for a long time and has won a lot of games for Lucci. And in particular, if you remember, obviously, most people will. He was last year's leading scorer. Excuse me. For the team. For the team. So, you know, and arguably MVP. I don't remember if he won MVP or not. But, um, you know, you're talking about 10 games since then. And admit, listen, I think he's been horrible this year. I don't think there's any question. But it's understandable why, for for me, when I try to think of, I try and put myself in Lucci's mind when I think about these things. And I can totally understand why Lucci has ultimate faith in the kid. Now, has he been good enough? No, unquestionably, he's not been good enough. But I think you're going to continue to see him be an option late into games. Certainly right now, if you want to replicate the way Frank O'Hara plays, Jesus is the closest to that. Pepe is 
dissimilar in style. And mm-hmm. with Paxton Hurt, the only other player that you have that can tend really is Thomas Roberts. And not that, and I like Thomas Roberts, but Lucci doesn't have the faith in Roberts. So it's not surprising that he hasn't come in yet uh, as the option. And Jesus, really, honestly, who else do you have that you can bring in? Or who else, not do I think, could bring in? Who else does Lucci have that Lucci is willing to bring in? And that's what I don't have an answer to. Well, you know, the, the, the part of the question going on here is why he brought him in. And I do, I do think it takes uh, it. Uh, it does mean that we need to take a second to kind of look at Ricarte's game, who, you know, to be fair, really wasn't having a very impactful or effectual game himself. He, I kind of that's what my frustration of, of the substitution was. I finally felt like Ricarte was finally finding the yeah. game when he when he jerked him out. But what do you think was keeping uh, the new guy from performing well in the game up until that point? Well, a little bit of his workload. Remember, they wanted to rest him in Atlanta and not play him on turf, and then they had to play him because Cirillo got red-carded for North Texas and couldn't play. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other part side of the coin is that I think teams are focusing Ricarte, and they're doubling him, and they're fouling him. At one point, Tiago Santos was even counting off fouls. Now, officially, uh, Ricarte only got fouled one time officially, but he was getting hit a lot, and that ref was letting a lot of stuff go, a lot of clutchy grabby, a lot of trying to deny him the opportunity to turn. So you remember that one of the things Lucci always talks about with Jesus Ferreira is his line breaking, is the way he checks and makes passing combos between the spaces. So probably Lucci's looking for that kind of play in order to try to break the game open a little bit. And when you combine it with perhaps Ricarte still being uh, working on into his complete 90-minute fitness, that's that's what I'm thinking Lucci's looking for there. Now, I agree with you that Ricarte's a special player. Leave the guy on. We want to try and push his minutes towards 90. At the same time, he hasn't played since, you know, three or four games since January. And he just came off a turf game. And maybe they're just trying to protect what, who is now their new clear superstar key player. So um, that's kind of what my guess is to what Lucci was thinking there. Yeah, it uh, it was a dis- it was overall I, I I came away from the Orlando game feeling well at least we didn't lose the game but you did kind of wish they had performed better considering the advantages they have especially after the ridiculous second yellow they picked up and the, well they had a man advantage for a decent amount of time and they did press they just couldn't finish the game off yeah yeah I I, I do wonder and I'm interested in your take on this too I do wonder if this club is missing a killer instinct kind of guy. Can you get it from one guy? I think they're definitely missing a killer instinct from, from time to time. I think Hara probably has it. Is it not translating to the team? Is it because they're young? Are they missing somebody that is going to grab a guy by the scruff? I mean, I feel like Hara and Santos are kind of those kind of guy. I, I don't understand. Do you mean like, do they have a, a, I, I don't know. A, like a vocal leader type? Maybe like a Daniel Hernandez or, or is it just like, is there too many young guys that don't quite have the desperation to absolutely win at all costs kind of mentality? I, I don't really know. I just feel like sometimes this team has trouble putting games away that they should win. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the oddity of the game against Orlando was <clears throat> when Ricarte was on the field, you still very much have the sense that you're looking at a team that is still figuring itself out because there's some new pieces in there. I mean, Hara and Ricarte are critical components, but the reality is, I mean, this is the thing that's so ridiculous um, that I think a lot of people forget. Now, while they went 200 days without playing a game, Santos, Ricarte, and um, Hara are all essentially still very new to this group, right? And they're all still trying to figure out how to play together, and that's really kind of the vibe I get when I watched the first, whatever, 66 minutes of the game. What I got disappointed in and what really bummed me out was when they had the man advantage and they made the change and they stuck on players that should know the system and have that kind of chemistry, that didn't appear at all. And you still felt like this was a team that still didn't quite yet know what to do with the ball when it had the advantage in terms of manpower and uh, and the ability to push forward and go for the jugular. And they just didn't know how to do that. Yeah, I would agree with that. This this team's gotten criticism in the last couple of years for their offense being a little bit uh, uncreative and a little bit one-dimensional. Um, and I think that as a midfield now is trying to work that out and trying to work themselves in with Frank O'Hara, he, he is changing that. Clearly that guy plays at a very high level and has very good ideas. But 
you know, one of the key guys around here for a long time now has been Michael Barrios. And Michael Barrios' bit, we all know, is a one bit, right? It's beat the guy with speed and then fire the ball into the box. And if they have that shut down, I don't know that Barrios has a lot of ideas outside of that. And that might also be true by uh, Frank O'Hara, who's not Frank O'Hara, pardon me, uh, Fafa Pico, who's a bit of a also run at you. And if I can't get by you now, I don't know really what to do. Frank O'Hara is not that. Frank O'Hara has all kinds of ideas, but those other guys are not on page with that. I mean, maybe that's why Lucci looks to Santi so much is because Santi isn't just like Fafa and Barrios that he does bring an alternative kind of idea. I mean, only for like 10 minutes, granted, but um, it'll be interesting to see over time Hara's influence on the offense if it becomes more complicated and less one-dimensional because the Dallas definitely has a history of if you pack it in and sort of solve those two attackers, what well, was once two, but one, is, but is now two, uh, they don't have a lot of other ideas. And I think that's still true. So after watching, uh, after watching the bulk of the season, are you feeling, do you, where are, where do you sit buzz on the Brian Acosta, Tanner Tessman, Brandon Cervania? Like who is that other center midfielder that should be starting games for Lucci? Well, right now, uh, I think I would give a testament a try because um, I think he's played well enough that he's earned an opportunity because Acosta, for me, is a roller coaster. Now, there has been a half here and a half there where he's been great, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, if you could get 90 minutes of that every week, oh, my gosh, that would be fantastic. Um, he is a guy in the prime of his career, and he is a guy that with World Cup experience compared to an 18-year-old testament and what is Brandon, not 20 these days, Brandon Cervania at the beginning of the year, I thought had earned a chance to compete with Acosta, but he has not followed through on that. So I think you're at a point where Tessman deserves a shot. But what you have to understand, I think, is that, and what's going to impact this, is that I think last year Lucci got, um, I'm going to say snake bit a little with the 100% play of the kids movement, right? We've seen a team now go out and get guys in the prime of their career and I think Lucci has learned that you can't trust a whole bunch of 18-year-old kids to win games. That sometimes you got to have a bunch of 26 to 28-year-olds, and that's Acosta. So I think he's going to give Acosta every benefit of the doubt and give the guy every chance to hold the spot. And for the foreseeable future, Acosta is going to be starting. If you only look at Tessman's performance, I think Tessman's outplayed him the last three or four games, but I don't know if that's enough to overcome what seems like all of a sudden is Lucci's reluctance to play kids. It's funny because uh, there are elements of what we're seeing in Lucci's decision-making are reflective of the things that we all kind of got confused about with Oscar. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There, there was clearly times where we all kind of looked at each other and went, when is Oscar going to start playing the kids? Like he's got this Paxton yeah. kid and he's got this Jesus kid. And yeah. yet we're, we're, we're still getting the same we're and and at some point I did we all not come to the decision that maybe coaches want to win games and realize that the the path to doing that probably isn't 18 it isn't teenagers. Yeah, it isn't teenage yeah, teenagers don't win games. Guys that have played since they were teenagers win games. I'm not saying that you can't work them in. I mean, look at look at Brian Reynolds, right? That guy looks great. Looks like right now looks like one of the best what, 3 4 5 players on the team. And, but look how reluctant Lucci was to roll him out and how long it took him to build up the confidence or the desperation, maybe, but more likely the confidence to really roll him out and let him have the job hands down. And that's tough. It's like when you when your job is on the line, when you're pushing for the playoffs, I mean, Dallas missed the last year, just barely squeaked in. And they What did they finish? Seventh? That's way down from what they're used to with Oscar finishing third or second or top of the table and winning supporter shields. So... You know, Lucci's the guy for the hunts, clearly. But I think Lucci really quickly learned that aging year olds don't win MLS games, that veterans win MLS games. So um, I think you're going to see a whole lot of veterans and a lot less kids, except, of course, that you're going to need some of the kids because of the, the playing time, this, the crazy schedule. So Tessman and Cervania will both get opportunities. I think Tessman should get a start, but I don't think he will. So I guess what I didn't get out of you yet, Buzz, was a, a sense of whether you thought they played well or did not play well Sunday night against Orlando. Collectively, I thought they played well. Uh, you know, Dallas is a team that's still on the top 
end of the standings. They played against a team that's in the very top of the standings. I think they played pretty well. I think the defense is really good. You know, it has its flaws, but they still have the, some of the lowest goals against in the, all of MLS. You know, the foundation is there. That was a pretty solid performance. Not a win, but pretty solid. Could have won it. So they just have some things to learn. They have to learn to play better on the offensive end. They have to learn to play collective with all these new pieces. Learn how to get the ball into more dangerous opportunities. That's true. But overall, I think it was a pretty good performance. You shut out one of the best teams, and the highest scoring teams in MLS. So uh, now they have an equally daunting task in front of them with another team coming to town that actually is top. They're currently what? Aren't they on top of the yeah, um, uh, uh, of the of the supporter shield? Aren't they? They are, but they just uh, had a terrible performance last week. But they are still the top team in the league. Yeah. The, so Columbus Crew, uh, the famous Caleb Porter is bringing his Columbus crew and Edward Jossie, uh, not Edwin Jossie. Good Lord. I've got, <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I mixed those two people up. That's totally unfair. <laughs> I'm a bad man for thinking that anyway. So, uh, Columbus crew are coming to town, uh, on Saturday night at seven 30 at Toyota stadium. And this will be a completely different, um, uh, battle, uh, for uh, for Lucci uh, to try to figure out how what start of type of lineup he what starting lineup he throws in there and and what tactics he uses. Yeah, Columbus is the best defensive team in the league, pretty much with only eight goals allowed. Uh, that's going to be the difficulties breaking them down. They don't score a ton. They score better than Dallas at twenty three, but um, that's only four goals better than Dallas. That'll be the key is to break down that good defense because I think their offense is containable. Um, now, the, the bonus for Lucci is that he has a complete week off now before uh, they play Columbus, which is really good for this team because they haven't had a, a not had a midweek game in quite a while, since probably since the end of the COVID thing. And uh, the same situation is true for Columbus. They don't have a midweek game either. But the difference is, and the reason it's important, is that this is the first chance to work on anything tactically basically since – uh, the end of the COVID shutdown since the end of the Mimos' the back tournament because Dallas has played pretty much at midweek every time. And when you have that every twice a week schedule, you can only work on maintaining your body, basically. It's kind of fitness, but it kind of isn't. Basically, all you can do is stay ready to play. You can't have what they call a training cycle, which is, you know, Tuesday, you integrate a concept. Wednesday, you build that concept up to into the team. Thursday, you finalize it and progress it. And then Friday, you're like, okay, here's that new concept ready to go. So it's a chance to actually coach up players. And for a team like Dallas, who has all these new pieces, that's huge. That's a big deal. You know, you're going to be, again, as rested as you can be. And you're going to get a chance to integrate guys like you haven't had a chance to do. And so you're set up as good as you could be to play the best team in the league coming in. Uh, I, I know this is going to sound ri- uh, uh, ridiculous to say it this way, but when I watch games and I listen to uh, Steve and Mark call the game, and Steve in particular, our good friend Steve Davis, uh, there are very commonly times where Steve says things that I promise, I swear, I'm thinking in my brain. And one of those things that he said in the Orlando game, uh, I think it was kind of midway through the first half, was that the, teams, uh, the, the team seems to have issues with getting to the ball to Ricarte. And that old joke about the, the promo video about pass the ball to Ricarte that they did with... Uh, with Nel- yeah. Johnny Nelson and Ricarte. And and I do wonder, it, that's got to be something Lucci is spending an inordinate amount of time with, is, tr- is trying to get their guys to be used to passing the ball to the guy in the middle of the midfield versus constantly trying to play it down the wings, which was by and large their singular tactic up until the point he got to town. Yeah, if you looked at the Orlando's um, average position chart, they pinched in tightly. They overloaded the middle and abandoned the wing. So Dallas, of course, played down the wings. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that's a strategy going forward, com- compressing and congesting the middle because of the danger of Ricarte. Now, some of it will be onto him. He'll have to learn to find open places and come find the ball a little bit. But it's true that his teammates will need to look for him, and that includes everybody around the back line, obviously, but your outside backs for sure, your center backs a little bit, but Tiago Santos and Brian Acosta, all those guys are going to have to figure out how to find Ricarte. And some of that will be... Uh, playing together because you'll learn to where that you'll learn to expect him to be in certain positions. And you'll know if I turn more than likely, he's going to be there, you know, in the, in the subtle communications you develop with teammates, 
noises that you can make. Um, I know this sounds crazy, but little Jason Christ used to do this little kind of noise to people that they knew was him. You know, that little subtle stuff comes with time and you'll learn the team. You'll learn the concepts. You'll learn where my guys are going to be. And McCarthy will come find the ball a little more and it'll improve, I think. But you're definitely true. You're definitely right that uh, they're not getting him enough of the ball and they're not getting enough of the ball to Hara too, which probably is a byproduct of the, the former problem. Uh, yeah, it will be an interesting game. But as we noted last week, once they get passed and through this, the schedule suddenly becomes very floaty and uh, attractive uh, the rest of the way out. And, and again, they just got to get to the playoffs. Yeah, this year is going to be such a crapshoot in terms of who's going to be in what kind of form, who's going to be healthy. You know, if you can get into the playoffs, it's going to be single elimination. You're going to have as good a chance as anybody of of making some noise, particularly if you have a guy that can rise to the occasion and be a special kind of big game player like we hope that Frank O'Hara is. Um, you know, and once you clear this, you've got some matchups that are going to be big six-point matchups against teams that are below you in the standings. So you can take control of your season and get yourself ready to go for the playoffs. It'll be fun. I mean, that's the goal, right, Lucci said, to get a home game and advance a little further. Yeah, and then the and then the games kind of come uh, fast and thick after that, but the 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 challenges aren't quite as daunting as uh, Orlando and Columbus back to back as as we get through that. So, uh and 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 maybe the time to gel and get everybody kind of integrated just in time for the playoffs. At least that's what we hope for, right? Yeah. That well, playing against teams that aren't quite as good, certainly when you can get things clicking, um and but the schedule is going to be pretty, you know, pretty heavy every twice a week. So that'll about to, that's a battle that going to have to keep rotating the squad. Yeah, and and before we kind of wrap up on uh, reviewing the game that was played and previewing the game is is uh, I just want to spend a second a little more on Brian Reynolds who I, I was really super impressed with. Uh, he's growing in confidence and going forward, and. And I don't ever want anybody to think that I'm trying to say that he's better than Reggie, but there is an element to his game that is significantly better than Reggie's, and that's crossing the ball. I, that kid has thrown in multiple very good crosses that should have been at least put on frame in some shape or form, <laughs> and uh, and and that's probably the best part of his game is is his danger in getting the ball in the box. Oh, the one he ripped across to Hara was ridiculous. The pace on that thing. Um, you know, part of that is that with Reynolds speed, he's able to get a little more space and able to get balls in more uncontested. So they're not getting deflected as much. That's part of it. Um, you know, his, his ability to play end to end is wearing guys out. And and so later in the game, it gets even more dangerous. You know, uh, he's not better than Reggie overall yet, but in some phases he is better already. And in the attacking phase, he's definitely more threatening. Now, the defensive phase, of course, um, he's still learning a lot, you know, but having Matt Hedges right next to him, of course, is very beneficial. Against Orlando, they told him to stay home because of Nani. And you could tell in the first half and early in the second half, Brian's timing was off in terms of knowing when to go and when not to go. And he's getting a lot of direction from Matt to go, okay, go, okay, go, you know, get up there, get up there, you know. And so that will get better when he's not as concerned with a guy like Nani. And that defensive side needs to be better in terms of positioning and in terms of game reading. But he's so fast that you don't even notice it half the time because when he's out of position, he can catch up and make a recovering tackle. And then his ability to build out of the back already is so strong that Dallas is completely lopsided onto that side as their that's their escapability because Brian can play combos and he can just run by dudes and it helps them escape out of the back. So, so much to like, don't get used to him being here. I mean, what's going to be a season or two before he's gone. I mean, it ain't going to be long, not with that ability. No. And uh, two notes that are are a question, uh, two questions uh, that I wanted to point out one on the uh, sequence with that resulted in Mendez getting the second yellow and that really terrible and stupid tackle he committed on, on Brian. I still yet to see this in slow motion and up close, and I don't know if it maybe it just doesn't exist. I swear Brian pulled off a absolute stunner of a skill check in that sequence where he stepped on a ball and and stepped on it so hard he spun it out from underneath him so that he could turn and chase it. Did you notice that? Yeah, they, it was actually in the MLS skills check package that they put oh, out like was. on Monday. Yeah, it's oh, basically okay. like he received – it's one of those moves that uh, – 
high quality players do where the reception of the ball and sort of slide flick all happens as one move. It's like touch, like a spin you kind of put on it. Uh, it's that kind of move between the guy's legs. And then, of course, he's so explosive that he beats the defender to the next point and the guy tackles him. Now, Brian drags it a little bit and gets the foul and goes down. And that's actually one that shows you how quickly he's learning. The first couple of games, he was anticipating contact rather than waiting for the contact and then, you know, allowing the drag so the guy hits you and actually waiting for the contact and then going down. So, yeah. you know, a, a player that's rapidly, rapidly improving in all these little subtle ways. And that move was just absolutely gorgeous. That little, oh, so quality. Yeah. Now, the next question I have may be a little bit more controversial because we all know that oh. Brian's uh, Brian's uh, origins are as an attacking player. The, the club eventually shifted him to kind of an attacking fullback uh, to kind of foster his pro career. But I do have a kind of weird notion that if uh, one Michael Barrios was to go down injured, would we not, would it not make sense to see Brian Reynolds play that position? Because I have a feeling he'd be really, really good at it. Well, the, his origin, you're right, is as a winger and as a nine. And if you remember correctly, Lucci used him a little bit uh, on the wing last year when maybe Brian wasn't quite super confident yet. Um, One of the reasons they've moved, as a collective organization, they've moved Ryan back uh, is because I think, and uh, this is kind of what they've echoed that he's particularly good when he gets this full steam of run at people when he's coming from deep in midfield and he's the overload guy when you're looking up and that's the second guy in and he's blowing past people at full speed. Uh, he does have the ability to play on a wing and he can play on the wing. And if you write that, that is in the pocket. I know they've at least discussed that as a possibility. And Lucci has mentioned it as a possibility that's further down the depth chart. Obviously that's not going to, it's not like they're going to bench Barrios for that, but um, it certainly is an option. Uh, I, I like him better deeper. And I think that's his future. That's where he's special. Like if you put him as a wing, he's just a wing, right? Right. If you put him where he is, he's Alfonso Davies. I mean, he's not Alfonso Davies, but it, it's the, it's the same sort of thing that makes people salivate when you see him. You're like, that's the closest guy we've seen to that idea that that deep running athlete that can just destroy you coming from 80 yards all game long. Yeah, it's a it's the most exciting aspect of the team at least in, in this moment in time, and maybe that'll change as uh, we move on. Uh, I'm interested to see how the Ricarte uh, experiment not experiment, but the Ricarte experience continues to grow. It was, as it happens with these guys, they show up and they play kind of this amazing debut game. And then it kind of falls off for a little bit and then they got to find their form and come back. And I think that's where we're at with the Colombian at this point. So, uh, they, they, and especially with his teammates getting him the ball, I, I think that's really the, the key com- thing that they could improve yeah. uh, moving forward. I mean, often guys take half a season to play into this league. And he's already shown a lot of qualities really quickly, you know. So as the team goes forward and as they play together and as he learns the league, it's, I I think, only going to get better and better because the guy can really play at a high level. Okay. All right. So uh, Saturday night, Toyota Stadium, Columbus comes to town and they're yellow and black, and it should be an interesting game. We can hope for a win there. Anything else that you want to uh, cover uh, uh, before we move on to the next subject? Uh, not specifically. I think that was a pretty in-depth dive into just one game. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see the changes with the week off. That's the biggest thing I'm looking forward to this week is what, I mean, listen, I wish I could go out and watch and tell you, but <laughs> we'll see what the changes are. You, but you, you're, you're probably going to anticipate, I mean, more than I, uh, my sus, I suspect it's going to continue to be the same middle three. And the only difference yeah. is he'll start Fafa Pico, right? Well, Santi's presumably out, so I can't imagine it'll be anybody at Fafa Pico. The only other option would be Ricardo Pepe because Ricardo Pepe's, if you're into the metrics now, he has the some of the best metric numbers in the game. Like his X goals is really, really high. His goals added is really high. So like his play is contributing to Dallas's being in position to score, and, and that's something that they're missing. So there always is a chance that Ricardo Pepe could be that left wing instead of Fafa Pico. Um, and we'll have to see what uh, we're hearing later in the week about that. 
Um, okay, so we'll uh, report back about that next time we speak and another uh, when we do the next episode. The uh, last thing is, is uh, uh, we about the time we started recording this, we published a thing for Third Degree that we've all been working on. I was the one that started it, but a, a lot of people have been working on for quite some time. Um, and I'll, I'm interested in your, uh, your point of view about the article and the thing that we posted over at Third Degree this afternoon. Oh, I think it's spectacular. I mean, we've been teasing it on the podcast for like a month now. Uh, and it was some of the stuff that, that you came up with from various sources I didn't know, which really surprised me. I mean, I feel like I, I know a lot, but it, even I, you know, compared to some of the guys that we got involved that are real insiders that worked for the team, you know, some of that stuff is just unbelievable. And I bet you there's stuff that even that didn't even make it that we don't even know about. Um, if, you know, it's, it's a phenomenal list. And it just reinforces how absolutely crazy it is to cover this team year to year to year. Some of it's self-inflicted, some of it's league-inflicted, some of it's just pure insanity. Uh, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Once you put it on paper, it was just was mind-boggling. Yeah, and so the the genesis of this was was kind of sitting around just going, you know, thinking about how this year has gone for this club, and when you start thinking about how it started. Um, and, uh, and then it got into the COVID situation and the Frank O'Hara situation. Well, it starts with the Frank O'Hara situations, moves to COVID, then the Jesse situation, and then you get into the Cobra situation and you're just like, man, this just could not be a weirder season. And I just thought, well, yeah, was it really that much weirder than 2017 or, uh, 1994? seven or something 2003 or 2003 and we just started yeah. and so we started collecting and at one point i had this epiphany that holy cow i think you could literally go through every year of this club's existence and come up with some really at least one really quirky story that unto itself would be amazing for the entire history of a singular club and for fc dallas or the dallas burn it literally has happened at least once if not multiple multiple times each and every season and so what we did was we went and talked to i don't know how many different people we put a, a spreadsheet together that we let people participate in and include their notes and on a year-to-year -year basis, we came up with at least one, and in some cases, three, four, and five really odd stories that happened to this team every year of, his, of, of its existence. And we call it 2020, same as it ever was. Yeah, I think it was only two years where we only had one thing. Uh, and most of the time, it was it, it was way more than two. <laughs> it was most seasons are three or four yeah. or five. I mean, it really is a crazy, crazy list. Well, you know, and then we had a whole bunch of other stuff. Like I've got a stack of stuff that we didn't include because it just didn't feel like it fit. Like every team has injuries, but when we included injuries, it was because it was like Brandon Pollard getting his leg broken by Dima Kovalenko, yeah, right? Yeah. It's not that just some guy tears an ACL. It's that he got his leg broken by another player. But we also found a bunch of really quirky stuff that we didn't throw in there. And the one that completely blew me away, and I'm still trying to get some background on I had I, I can't believe I didn't know this buzz but in 2005 the club cut a deal with a local radio station and that local radio station changed its call letters to KFCD and they were broadcasting the games for some amount of time and then stopped doing it but the station today it's AM 990 is still call lettered KFCD and I totally didn't know that yeah, I believe at the time it was, uh, if I remember correctly, was uh, was maybe a Christian kind of station. No, they, it was a, it was a Texas like Texas music radio station. Mm, all right, well, okay, see, so, um, uh, yeah, I, I had I remembered that they had rebranded, uh, and I like you, I googled to see if it still was, and sure enough, it still is. It's amazing to me that there's a station, radio station in town with named after this club that has nothing to do with this club now. It's yeah. hysterical. It's it's AM nine ninety after uh, so after they stopped running uh, sometime after they stopped running FC Dallas games they flipped to an all sports format that apparently only lasted like two months and then it went into bankruptcy and then it became a Christian station and now I think it's currently a Hispanic station. 
Yeah, I think if I was a billionaire that owned this team, I might buy that thing just to be able to, because it was named after my club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we found all kinds of crazy stories uh, and notes yeah. about it and things like that. So it was fun to write. It was a bit frustrating trying to figure out what qualified and what didn't qualify. And I'm sure people will read it and have feedback about it. But it was a lot of fun. And if you're a fan of the team, I think everybody will step away from it going, holy cow, I, I totally had forgotten about that. And it's amazing. This seems to happen every single year of yeah. the club's existence. You have to embrace it and, and kind of roll with it. And then it becomes enjoyable of like, are you kidding me? Look at all this stuff. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah this club yeah. is uh, must be cursed in some way. Well, you know, you always think about that famous saying about Tottenham Hotspur, which is that that's so Spursy. It's kind of like the FC Dallas version of that. That's just classic FC yeah. Dallas for things like that to happen to them. And now it's starting to become the odd charm of the club. Yeah, you have to sort of embrace it, I think. You know, I, you and I both, of course, lament the fact that they've never won an MLS Cup. But that was part of our original discussion is that the, the three times where the team was on its way and had a legitimate, 100% legitimate shot to win it. Something crazy happened and derailed it. And that's one of the things that kicked off this whole discussion. That man, it's every year there's something crazy with this team. All right. So just to make sure, so that you and I are talking about, so that's the George John own goal in the actual MLS Cup is one. Yeah. Mauro Diaz going down with the Achilles injury to end his 2016 season is two. And three for you is Alon Suter's Calamari yeah, poison. 97, 97 yeah. when Dallas okay. was the favorites. Because the number yeah. one team, the favorite on the other side got knocked out. And Dallas was like the best team left in the thing and had a clear path to win it. And they got knocked out. And you could also include in 2010, you could include the Heath Pierce sort of falling apart with Shellis at the end of the season craziness. Oh, yeah. That yeah. it contributed to the like of that run. You know, and, and uh, there's all kinds every season. I mean, there's multiple things in 2010. Yeah, uh, there's like I said, there, we're gonna somebody's gonna come back and go, dude, you totally forgot this. And oh yeah, gonna, and we're gonna add it, and it'll be yeah, it yeah. being like this living uh, document that we uh, keep adding to year after year. Uh, twenty twenty has certainly been and had its share of really weird things that's happened to this club. But if you go back and read the entirety of all however many seasons it is. <laughs> Yeah, you'll be blown away at how 2020 is just another year in, 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 in the history of this club. Yeah, it's uh, it's it fits right in. You know, I mean, lots of teams are having tough times right now, but Dallas had the whole COVID and they had the, the Reggie Cannon uh, uh, protest uh, booing situation. They, you know, it's just been I mean, every single time there's just crazy with this club and it's just par for the course. You have to embrace it. You have to roll with it and enjoy it. And what we'll to come up with a sl- with a tag for it, you know, to more, that's what goes forward. <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that I got to turn uh, Ned Yalkoff into a verb. Yeah. To pull a Ned Yalkoff. Yeah. <laughs> Ned Yalkoff him. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, okay. So that's up on the site. Uh, anything else you would like to discuss before we uh, close up shop for the evening? Well, um, other than, of course, you can support us on the Patreon and give us some love uh, if you like what we do. The other thing is uh, starting to get some uh, Justin Che chatter, Justin Che contract chatter, who, of course, he's the uh, young kid that plays with North Texas from the academy. He's a center back by trade. He has played a lot of right back to constant starter for them. He's been the guy we were predicting to be the next homegrown. Uh, and now I can't confirm whether it's a homegrown or whether it's a North Texas kind of situation, probably homegrown. But anyway, that chatter's heating up. So keep an eye on that. All right. Oh, and I know what I wanted to ask you, Buzz. Um, on the heels of actually having a sponsor for the pod last week and the local artist, Pappy Check, and your dog being excited about that. Oh, he's that. very, very excited about the Pappy Check. Uh, Somebody rang we, the doorbell. Are we getting a Pappy Check theme song for the pod? Well, he listened to the podcast last time and was super excited about giving it a shot. So we'll see if he comes through with uh, with something that'll work for us. Uh, I'm excited. I talked to him a little bit, and we'll see what happens. Cool. Well, good for him. All right. Well, thank you, Buzz. Uh, as always, we appreciate your fine work and hard uh, hard effort. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being here to host. All right. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We'll speak to you next week on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Where's Dan? <laughs> <laughs>